This episode of Roderick on the Line is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter the offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace! Hi, John. Hi, Merlin. How's it going? Pretty good. <clears throat> I get the sense uh, every Monday, uh, a little bit after 10, no big deal. When I um, ask you that question, you really think about it for a minute. I say, I say, how's it going? And, and I really feel like you're, you know, you're not responding by rote. You're, you're turning it over. Maybe you're not awake yet, but, but it's, it seems like something you're turning over in your mind. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that I try to answer every platitudinal inquiry from everybody authentically mm-hmm. i mean i'm not somebody that sits in the supermarket or in your case the the line at bartels i don't know what that is is that a hot oh, dog place uh, walgreens walgreens no yeah walgreens walgreens yeah uh you're not that you're not somebody that i'm not some rather i'm not somebody rather who will sit there and in response to the guy saying how you doing today go oh my sciatica oy vey oy vey is mere but the other night I was at the grocery store at 11.59 that closes at 12. I was having a bad day. And the guy that was working there has been working there for a long time. He's always working there at the late shift. He's not, he's not like one of the old guys. He's in his late 30s. And he carries himself with a very sort of ice cube level of intensity. Mm. I've tried to banter with him many times. He's not interested in bantering with me. When I'm in a good mood, he doesn't care. Uh, when I just play it cool, he doesn't care. He's not registering me. And whether it's, you know, I'm used to flirting with everybody. And he surely has noticed me because I'm flirting with him like crazy. He just isn't going to give when me you, When any- you work somewhere, you know, you are aware of more people than you might realize like you know like you probably at the newsstand you could probably sit down and if you really put your mind to it at that time have made a list of like 30 characters that you oh, know more, just a tiny bit about oh more than that i yeah. mean you're absolutely right just like yeah a lot but his vibe is just not having it you know, he's, 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 a, he's a cool character that's that's right and so it's just the two of us in the store it's eleven fifty nine. the store is closing I've tried to make chit-chat with him over the years. I, I surrendered a long time ago, and not, not unfriendly to him, but just like I'm not chit-chatting, right? You know, that's not what you want. But he says, how's it going tonight? And I was having a really bad day, and I said, you know, today has been really bad. And I have no idea why I did it. I just, he asked me a question. And you, was, were, you were vulnerable. <laughs> and uh, you would want this story to end with us, like with him stopping what he was doing and going, wow, man, tell me about it. Like a bartender. But that's not how the story ends. He, he continued to ring up my, my pity food, <laughs> which was like a piece of cake, a bowl of a box of ice cream and a <laughs> DiGiorno pizza. Oh, no. Like, Here's your pity food. And uh, and then he was like, you know, have a nice night or whatever, like zero acknowledgement. 
And I was like, yeah, right on. I'm glad that we're, glad that we're both still in character. Have a good night. Yeah. yeah. Peace. You know, <laughs> Whatever. Don't, don't change. <laughs> uh, but yeah, did you read that article, Merlin, recently about the, uh, about the, the division of the Metropolitan Police in Britain that is now using super recognizers? Mm-mm. It's like did a super taster, but for faces? Yes. I just, I just literally guessed that. That's that's very good. Everybody's bitter. Everybody, everyone is bitter except these people. The, okay, so t- seriously, what is this? This well, is like so, this is a human uh, humant, as they say. Yeah, we've we've had um, we're we're all aware of face blindness being a a real problem for people that have face blindness. They they can't recognize. I mean, pure face blindness, you can't even recognize yourself in the mirror. Yeah, this is why reading those Oliver Sacks books is, is such a trip. Because, yeah. and actually, I do have a topic that I want to bring up that's related to this. Where you, there are certain kinds of things where just even knowing that they exist, no matter how inoculated you feel or how healthy you think you probably are, you cannot help but start doing like the third act of Sixth Sense, like running through your head. Like, are there times when I had this and didn't know it? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Well, this article is really fascinating. There's a, um, and it. It's fascinating in part because it's so obvious, you know. It's it's one of these these moments where it's like, gah! But it wasn't like a. It didn't come from a university. It wasn't a science a scientist initiated program. It was just some detective at the at the uh, uh, you know some bobby. I guess I don't know what a bobby is. Frankly, I, mean, I think to be a bobby, you have to have a hat and twirl a nightstick. Turns out. That's because the London Metropolitan Police Force was started by a man named Robert. Really? Turns out. So, bum, the, bum, bum, bum. so a guy there is like, look, we've got, we've got more CCTV cameras than any other place in the world by a factor of 10. Uh, but all this information is not being processed because we don't have the capacity to process it. We keep buying all these new computer programs, but computers can't really wade through the millions of faces we record every day. This system is like a useless system, but he, he noticed that there were certain detectives that would just be sort of out doing their job and somebody would walk past and they'd be like, that guy, there's a warrant out for his arrest from 17 years ago for purse snatching. And oh, it's they, a little bit Dustin Hoffman, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm avoiding saying it, but it's somebody it's somebody who has not just an uncanny ability to see a face and associate it, but then to have that data be able to pull up quickly and go like, I know why I know that person. I see people on the street. And I'm like, I think that person was my waitress five years ago, but I couldn't yeah. tell you exactly. Well, and so these are these people that have this gift, right? That, right. That, uh, and, and so he start, he made up a test for them or there's some kind of test face recognition test. And there are all these people working at the police department already who are like oh yeah i just i'm the i'm i work in the evidence room or you know i'm the lady that processes all the data reams and he just gave this test around and there are certain people that can that recognize all the 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 bit characters in movies and they're like oh that guy who's playing the farmer in the background was the guy that was playing the far the you know the the 15th soldier from the left in in that war movie you know like they just have this photo recognition of faces. And he compiled them into a little gang and said, here, now start combing through all this CCTV footage that's kind of been pre-combed, you know, like using algorithms. We've narrowed it down to just 10,000 pictures or something. 
And this little team is like, that's the guy, that's the guy, that's the guy, just solving crimes. Just what I want to do, Merlin, all I want to do is solve crimes. What, all, we, all any of us want to do is solve crimes. And it's always there. These people are solving crimes. Mm. With something, with something that they already know how to do. They have a superpower, basically. It's a superpower. Yeah. And so then this article goes on to say, statistically, it's um, inevitable that there are police officers out there who have face blindness, who are, I mean, a big part of your job is like, that's the guy. I saw him do it. Or, you know, like, I recognize the perp from across the store. And there are cops out there who are like, yeah, I'm a policeman. I can't tell two completely different looking people apart. And they're making IDs and they're testifying in court. Right. Notoriously unreliable. So, right. Well, and that's, that's true. But, but notoriously unreliable, like, like lineups and, and, uh, and that type of thing are unreliable amongst the, the hoi polloi. Mm-hmm. But these people, there, there are people, and now you st- and when you start to think about it, like there's just a, there's statistically a large number of people that have this talent in varying degrees, and even among the people that have it, there are some who are recognized as like amazing that's, magicians. That's that's amazing. But the, so the article starts to say, why wouldn't you give this test to every police officer? And people that have face blindness should not be beat cops. It's um, it should be exclusive. They, they should maybe be desk bobbies, a desk bobby, mm-hmm. right? Or like uh, some kind of other bobby, mm-hmm. like a uh, like an evidence room bobby or uh, like a morgue bobby. We need all different kinds of bobbies. Sure, if you want to be a bobby. Be a morgue, Bobby. But you, oh, and even in a morgue, you're going to have to recognize some faces. You don't want to put the one guy in the one box and the other gal in the other box. Mm-mm. So it, but it, you know, you sit there and you're like, okay, this, there's one police station in the world that's doing this now. And even, and, and even that feels like it's, feels like somebody higher up could eliminate it in, in an afternoon just because they don't like the guy's face. <laughs> ha! <literally. laughs> nice. <laughs> but, um, but it's just started this cascading wave of, in my head, of what, of what is plainly obvious, which is that people have aptitudes. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. And we're always testing, te- you know, testing kids, testing, 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 testing for, for things. You know, we're testing. I mean, when I, when I first moved to Seattle, I tried to get a job as a doorman in a, a fancy building. And I was given like a 40-page test twice that was one of those tests that was like, if I saw a fellow employee steal a paperclip, I would, A, call the police. Like, is it like a Myers-Briggs kind of thing or an MMPI? Uh, it's, no, it's trying to determine if I am honest. Oh, like right. If I, if, like, like one of these things where it's like, if I saw a fellow employee steal a paperclip, I would call the police, call the FBI, uh, tackle him to the floor... Or uh, curl up in a ball and cry. And it's like, mm-hmm. none of the above. Well, you have to pick one. Like these tests that are, it, that are just, it, they're just crazy. It's, you see a tortoise on its back baking in the sun. 
<laughs> I, I, I totally agree, and not, not least because I think there are superpowers that probably exist that aren't the kind of things you would see in DC and Marvel. But you also think about, I don't want to be too reductive here, but think about giving kids tests in school, which is so rife with problems and uh, it's just but i mean so the basic idea is like okay well i'm going to give you a test of what we studied this week in arithmetic and you you know all these things we told you that there's going to be a test and we we're going to give you this test the thing is though like the the most important thing about taking a test is knowing how to take a test which we don't teach people really until they take an elective you know sat prep they don't you know where you learn that <laughs> there's a lot of gaming to it in some ways for that kind of test yeah it's a it, it, there's a for standardized tests but i guess it. i guess what i'm trying to say is like first of all i think we have to always admit that in, in the same way that like managers tend to hire people that they would like to manage you're not going to manage somebody who you, you're not going to hire somebody who you can't manage the way that a company changes and grows and uh, if as john Syracuse says evolves is going to be heavily circumscribed by the interests and hang-ups of the people who are making hiring decisions so right. it's i mean it's a little bit of a of a, a rabbit hole here but you know that's one reason companies don't change as quickly as people would like is because they're not changing the kind of people that they hire so it's right. it's kind of crazy to think that it would change but it's also a matter of you know and I, I i would never want to say anything disparaging about teachers or you know administrators but they've got a job to do their job is to run the school you know, it's, yeah, sure, secondarily, you want the kids to be edu educated, but there is this Professor X part of my brain that thinks, like, you know, there's, think about all of the things involving mental, organic, chemical things that we've learned that vast, make us vastly rethink the way we've treated what you might call mental illness or madness over the past millennium, right? It's not necessarily, it's not bad humors. It's not that you have a troll living in your head, you know? And kids that were in the Brown reading group when I was in, uh, you know, third grade, we now understand they might have a spectrum disorder or they might have a chemical imbalance or there could be all kinds of things that help explain that. But until we have a way to name and measure it, like, it isn't real, and so in this, this is what fascinates me about what you're saying is like, how many things are out there we just haven't figured out might exist because we don't know what to call it or how to measure it? Well, and I think it, I think what it's inspiring me to think about is like, we spend a lot of time measuring and there are a lot of things we're afraid to measure, right? This is, this is one of the big, big problems of liberalism or about the problem of just equality, the idea of equality. It's as soon as you start measuring people you're, you you get into this posture of like let's say there's somebody who wants to be a bobby and they take a they take an exam and they have face blindness now you can make a strong case that face blindness actually precludes them from being able to properly do the job of of policing street policing but you can imagine the lawsuit also that, you know, I want to be a police officer. And oh, I'm it's being like, a, like a disability. Yeah, I'm being discriminated against because I have face blindness. Right. And, you know, and then the other side is like, well, no, I mean, we, we have a job for you here in the, in the, uh, in the Bobby Morgue. Mm -hmm. And then you realize, well, now there's 800 people working in the Bobby Morgue because they all wanted to be police <laughs> officers and they all have face blindness. Right. Um, and... I've always said about college professors, like the people that right now we use the PhD system to determine who is who, who our professors are. 
but sort of like running for city council, the ability to get a PhD and the ability to be a good, interesting instructor on a topic are in some ways mutually exclusive. Like running for city council and being a city council person are totally different jobs. And so our colleges are built around the idea that PhDs are the teachers, but PhDs are not interesting. But, but, and PhD, but PhDs, then people who have had PhDs for years, also become the people who make the rules. Yeah, who decide and, who and what to measure. Teachers. Yeah, and so you know the best teachers are storytellers and people that get up and have a mental map of the topic and are able to make it interesting and connect it to other things and are scintillating, and that requires a kind of mind that is antithetical almost to doing a deep dive on you know on Zelda Fitzgerald's diaries and writing a you know a 900 page exegesis on you know on two months of Zelda Fitzgerald's diaries it's like that's not an interesting storyteller if you can do that successfully congratulations here are here's a chest full of ribbons you should be buried in the stacks for the rest of your career doing that which you clearly love you shouldn't be like put, put in front of a group of 18-year-olds who are tossing Frisbees in the back of your class and given the impossible goal of making it interesting to them. You should be a library, Bobby. You should be a library, Bobby. Yeah. So, for instance, you know, we talk about that all the time, this feeling of being underused or of trying to find your duck. And in so many ways, it's like for me, it's been obvious for a long time. I have, I have a, a mental geography. You know, I can, and it's just, it's exactly like face recognition. Um, there's, I mean, if you give me a piece of information, I can put it into an architecture that I've built in my mind of history and geography. And I, and I, and I find the little, you know, and it, it's like the, it's like the Indiana Jones warehouse. And I wheel the little cart of this new piece of information down a long hallway and then I turn left and I know where it goes, you know, it's cataloged in my mind. And I, and when I interact with other people that don't have it, which is most people, mm -hmm. I'm always confused. Like, oh, oh, I see. You don't, not only do you not know that where we stand and where you live, there are 15 different roads you could take back to your house because you only ever take the one. Because you just don't think that way. Other you just don't, don't think that way. You don't see it. You don't see your house and where we are now in a, in a map in but your It's not mind. that different from having perfect pitch where even if you describe it to somebody, they still can't really know what it's like. Right. To, to uh, know that like every, almost every sound that they hear falls somewhere on like a, a map of tones for them. Yeah, and and, you, and there, nobody else would even be aware that that exists, let alone be able to do it. Yeah, there's and there are plenty of people who see that note and can pull it out and tell you where it fits into chords and, you know, it's like they have it in their head. Let alone, you know, the architecture of how does the French Revolution play into, how, how did the French Revolution affect World War I, right? That's a similar kind of geography. Now, I, what, what my face blindnesses are, uh -huh. I can think of Probably a few, but again, you don't know what your face blindnesses are. Like That's I don't the whole know. Point. Yeah, I don't know where my where the the big uh, canker sore in my you know smooth skin is. But there's no no one has ever found a. I mean, you and I have found this place. We carved out a place where we can use our um, our face recognition, our our our, our abilities here. You know, to yeah. uh, 
but but it's sort of even even here incomplete because we're we've never really been tested for what we're what it is. Uh-uh. And you think all the jobs in the world that need a you or a me or anyone listening, like all the all the places where it's like, oh my god, you can you totally you, it's a party trick for you to name all the all the bit actors and all the other movies you've seen them in. That's like a party gag. And then you go back to your job of uh, working in a factory making milkshake mix. When you're just pushing a rock up a hill because that's your racket now, right. and there's never been a way to know how to fit that stuff in. And civilization is, like our whole culture, is missing. Uh, we're all losing out on being able to use your ability which you know, which is native to you, and you're missing out on the experience of going to work every day and saying solving crimes, solving crimes. But if but if the person who's in a position, person or persons in a position to decide whether to test for that doesn't doesn't is somebody who suffers from face blindness, mm. uh, not to be nefarious, but they have uh, very few motivations to go out unless they're pretty big hearted and civil well, to, to go out and find the people who do have it. Here's what's amazing about this story: the cop that put this team of bobbies together does not have he's not a super su- recognizer he's not a super recognizer yeah he just was a cop trying to solve he's trying to solve crimes and he's like i keep having really good luck going over to this uh this small group of people that sit over here in the in the morgue and asking them if they've ever seen this guy before and he had just enough authority that he could say can you know can these people be tasked to me for this this period of time, let me try this out. And I don't think he's a. I, I think he's not very hot, uh, popular with the brass because he does. He plays by his own rules. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Like he's over there, just like McGarnacle. He's he's a little bit rogue. Yeah. He, sla- he slaps his gun down on the desk. Well, it's he's a Bobby, so he slaps his, his napkin uh, down on the desk. His Johnny Club, and he says, "God damn it, mate." <laughs> <laughs> you have British blindness. <laughs> I got so much to say about this. Listen to the pen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I right. It's it, like it, it, it reverberates throughout everything. Well, well, and here's here, just just real, real, a quickie here is that you know I I'm very interested in these ideas of what we test, what we measure, what what we can see, and we don't you know we we go through these phases where we watch a lot of Harry Potter, and I was just thinking yesterday we were watching um, the. F- sixth movie and i was thinking how interesting is like how many layers of no ability and visibility there are in harry potter like for example muggles can't see hogwarts so if a muggle were to go to scotland and found where hogwarts was it would look like destructed land because magic but the point is that if you if he walked across hogwarts would he bump into buildings i don't think so i think it's disguised in such a way that basically to to anybody who's not in the wizarding community it just for the sake of argument let's just understand that they they can't see hogwarts okay. but then let's say you are a wizard or a witch and you come to hogwarts well then you have all there's there's still further layers of these things where for example there's a certain kind of uh, in this particular film there's a certain kind of of, um, you know, this mythic beast, this like ghost horse thing, uh, with ghost horse kind of like with his wing. It's really cool. But like Harry sees this thing and he's like, well, does anybody else see this? And the only other person who sees it is Luna Lovegood. And Luna says, well, the only people who can see that are, are people who've seen death. 
So there's, there's, but there's all these layers and layers and layers. And I, I know that that's a fantasy novel for kids, but I think there's all kinds of stuff like that going on where just because you can see this one thing doesn't mean you can see these other things. And sometimes the only way we derive any understanding is by accident. So what did they tell us when we were in high school? They said, okay, if you want to go to college, you got to take the SAT or the ACT. And here's the thing about the SAT. The SAT, like, here's, well, here's what we know about the SAT, is that people who do well on the SAT, there's a high correlation between people doing well on the SAT and doing well in college, which, if you really think about it, is, is super interesting, I think, because it's not saying that, like, it's because you're smart at stuff. It's because you tested well on that one kind of test. Now, who knows? There could be a dozen other things that indicate to a 70, 80th percentile, how, will, how well you will or won't do in college. But that's, that's the blunt instrument we've got. And so this hugely important decision about like whether we're going to allow you into our college is based heavily on how well you did on this test. And it's not, even, it's not exactly how well you did on the test that matters. It's that that correlation is what matters. So there's this part of me that wonders, like as we blunder ignorantly through life, not knowing what causes what, I wonder if we're eventually going to get to this minority report-like point where we can retroactively go back and look at big data to go like, well, here's big patterns. Like people who did well in politics and were honest tended to show these patterns at different points in life. I think so, and that's uh, that's what <clears throat> the the interesting thing about the SAT and the college is that all makes sense up to a point, right? Here we have a college. We want people to come here who are going to do well on it, and this test measures what we, you know, this test tends to measure skills that you will need to do well in college. Well, and, and I'm sorry, let me drop the other shoe just to say, state the obvious. The thing that we can't know, because you can't prove a negative, is we can't know the number of people who never even took the SAT, let alone didn't do well on it. Right. We have no way to know those could be the greatest student we've ever gotten, but the model we have doesn't fit that kind of scattershot approach. There's no test out there. There's no means out there for going, unless you're going to put a lot of wetware on it. There's no way to really know, like, who's this kid in the inner city that might be the greatest student we've ever got? Well, it depends on what we call a great student. Who's deciding who's allowed in here? And you know what? We lose money as an institution if we get people in here who drop out. Like, that is a bad pattern. It looks bad on the books. And so we have to stick with this conservative approach. That's all I wanted to say was, you yeah, know, we don't, we don't, you know, it's a very, very blunt instrument. The, 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 I guess the worser thing about it is that the next, the, I mean, the extension of that thinking is that if you do well in college, you are, you will be valuable to society. Like if because, you, because you there's know, a high, there's a higher correlation for that. But that's, that is the thing that's unmeasurable. Like, right. You know, if you're, if you, if you're talking about the university of Pennsylvania and you're talking about, here's what the university of Pennsylvania teaches. Here's how this it's socially structured. Here's where it's located. Here's, you know, here are the parameters of the university of Pennsylvania and what it's capable of. And then you say the SAT perfectly measures uh, who is going to do well at the University of Pennsylvania. You, I mean, I, and, and it says, oh, it excludes all these people that are from different cultural backgrounds. Right. It excludes all these people that have, that have uh, face recognition skills but don't, you know, but aren't good at math or whatever. Like it, Maybe like, they do uh, very well at the Wharton School of Business without taking into account that their father will be loaning them a million dollars in the near future <laughs> that allows them to create their empire, just as, yeah. a, as a random example. As a random example. It's hard to account for those things. Uh, but but the, the, the massive fallacy is to presume that, our, that, that colleges then became the exclusive path to having a... a 
like a supervisory role in our culture, right? You can, you can work your, uh, you always were able supposedly to work your way up from the mailroom. But what, what we, the, the, we put college in this middle place that where its job was to filter out people who weren't going to be supervisors, who weren't, who didn't have the, the metal or the, 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 uh, cognitive skill to be a leader. It's like officer candidate school. And we ne- we've never thought about that again, right? I mean, colleges do not actually do a very good job of finding leaders and it, colleges promote people. I mean, being good in college does not make you a leader. And there's no, and statistically now all we have is, well, did people who go to college, did they become leaders? Well, yeah, because they're rich and because they, because it's self-reinforcing and all, you know, like all the, all the insanity around the idea that we would have, that we would, we would impose a system and then never really try to validate its findings by any means other than by using its own language, you know, Uh like and I've felt this my whole life, right? The, some of the smartest people I knew when I was 15, the, the kids that were really, really burning hot at 15 years old, who were rebelling against their parents already, who were in trouble with the school, who, and they were kids, right? So they were, they were ding-a-lings. They thought that, that they were going to be part of a revolution of some kind or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But like the Kurt Cobains, let's call them, just the, the, the outsiders mm. at 15 years old, some of the 15-year-old outsiders were just fucking smartish, the smartest kids. And the, the quote-unquote smart kids at school really looked down their noses at them and were threatened by them. Everybody was threatened by them. But the whole system, all the parents, all the teachers, all the, the school, everything, were really targeting those kids to like get them out of here basically you know not even trying to reform them i'm not talking about the you know the schools do a pretty good job of like oh this kid is not excelling and we're going to put him in a special class and we're going to try and get him through this process you know it's important to the schools to like help people that are struggling to get them through but that small group of people the small group of teenagers who are like from a very early age, 13 years old, already maybe struggling with drugs, already... It's insecure home life. Very, very insecure home life, who are coming to school full of of anxiety and aggression, who are just like... Just stupid know, stuff, like if your parents fight a lot, maybe you don't sleep very well. <laughs> right, or if I your mean, parents fight a lot, maybe that's how you think problems get solved. Right, right. Uh, and But they're like, they're hurting... But they're also very smart and sensitive. I, I, I just got a Facebook message from a friend of mine. that He was the first person I ever knew that had a tattoo. Uh, when he was 16 years old, he had a tattoo of a smiling skull smoking a joint. Mm, there's a lot, of, a lot of problems physiologically with that. <laughs> yeah. I can smiling think of at skull. least three. How are you? Wait a minute. <laughs> they're got all no smiling. <laughs> um, and the, uh, the skull is tattooed on the inside of his left arm. Mm. And it was... I mean, this was before, this was back when the only people that had uh, tattoos were in the Navy. And I was like, what the, what did you do to yourself? And he's like, what do you mean? I've got a fucking, this tattoo is like, 
this is me, man. And he was that that was back in the days when a punk rocker could get a t- tattoo of a skull smoking a joint, and there wasn't any confusion about whether or not he was a hippie. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. no, he's not a hippie. He got a freaking tattoo. Hippies didn't start getting tattoos till later. And he was like such a he was so. He lived in a trailer park. His parents were on drugs. He was so sensitive and such a delightful, delicate person. And I watched life just hammer him. And after high school, life continued to hammer him. And I got a message from him the other day. He's still alive. A lot of our mutual friends that were closer to him than me are, are all dead. It was like a, it was, they just died from, from drugs and from being um, too sensitive, frankly. He didn't somehow. He survived. And I heard from him. I hadn't heard from him in years. And, and every, time I, every time I interacted with him after high school, I always had this same feeling. He was one of the smartest ones of all of us. And he was shit on constantly. He took it with good grace. You know, he was just like, he, uh, he handled it pretty well considering. And he made a life for himself. But, but he was brutalized. And I, so I, I go on, I'm, I'm like talking to him on Facebook and I look at his profile and he's an old man now. He's like a little old man. Mm. And I think... You know, the aptitudes that he had, the artistic ability and the, you know, the, the sensitivity, right? He was meant for something. He was meant to do something. And, and if we had an ability to test for, if we had, truly had an ability to test for aptitude, we would have culturally, right at 15 years old, pulled this kid out of school and said, oh my God, hello. Like, here is your, here, let's just, let's, we don't need this anymore. You know, like high school isn't where where you need to be, you need to be over here and we're going to put you in this special place and you're going to do these special things. And, you know, I, I, obviously, right, we all kind of feel like we wish something like that had happened to us or at least I have spent a lot of my life wishing that somebody had grabbed me by the hand. But it was also, but it was also like in, in, uh, in my, uh, I remember like senior year, <laughs> remember my Americanism versus communism class? I mean, I remember hearing for years that this is what happens in the Soviet Union. Like when, at the age of whatever, the whatever arbitrary number they made up, but the age of 10, they give you a test. And if you don't do well in that, then you become a machinist and there's a track. And once you're on that track, you can never go back. It's not like America where anybody can be the president. Right. And that's the thing we always say about Japan, right? If you don't, if you don't pass the, the preschool admission test, then you're on your way to the, you know, you're going to be a pearl diver <laughs> instead of this episode of Roderick on the line is brought to you by Squarespace, the simplest way for anyone to create a beautiful landing page, website, or online store. You can start building your website today by going to squarespace.com, enter the very special offer code SUPERTRAIN at checkout, and that will get you 10% off your first purchase I know you've heard of Squarespace, but I want you to be using Squarespace. If you're listening to this podcast right now, which I have to assume that you are, you're already using Squarespace. Turns out that is where we have hosted the Roderick on the Line program for, I don't know, 15, 16 years now. But you got to try this for yourselves. They got easy to use tools and templates. They're going to help you capture every detail of what drives you. Because if it's worth the effort, it's worth sharing with the world. Squarespace puts all the power you need into your hands. It takes away all the pain points. You don't have to worry about hosting or scaling or what to do if you get stuck with something. With Squarespace, you can build a site that looks professionally designed regardless of your skill level. There's no coding required. 
You'll easily be able to make your website look and feel exactly how you want. And Squarespace has state-of-the-art technology to power your site. That ensures security and stability. They are trusted by millions of people in the world, including John and me. The site templates for Squarespace are just stunning to look at. And they all feature responsive design, which is a fancy nerd way of saying that they're going to look good, regardless of the dingus upon which your site is viewed. This is just getting started. Squarespace has tons of awesome features. They got 24 by 7 support with live chat and email. They got the Squarespace commerce platform so you can sell stuff. You can have a store on your site. How about that? They have this wonderful thing called the cover page. This is a functionality that lets you build great looking single page websites like all the cool kids are doing. Rock solid, fast hosting, so much more. If you want to stretch Squarespace further, you can check out their dev platform. Now here's the thing. If you sign up for a year, you're also going to get a free domain name. That means you can name your site whatever you want. And the Squarespace plans start at just $8 American per month. That's a pretty screaming deal. Start your trial today with no credit card required. Start building that website by going to squarespace.com. And when you sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code SUPERTRAIN. At checkout, that'll get you 10% off your first purchase. And it shows your support for Roderick on the line. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Roderick on the line and all the great shows. <laughs> instead of a... Instead of a uh, hi, hi. You know, and I don't mean to say that the pearl diving jobs aren't hard to get. No. But yeah, that's, that's, the, that's what I was saying before, right? Like, the American premise is that uh, that you should be able to be a police officer even if you have face blindness, right? The American premise is that you should be able to, you know, you, you muscle your way in or use your ingenuity or your, um, or your guile to have any job you want and there shouldn't be any limitations. And it is a very, it's a very slippery slope, I think, in a lot of our minds to going from something very logical like police detectives should be super recognizers to all of a sudden feeling very uncomfortable about uh, the fact that there's predestination. And, yeah, and I, I, we're I'll, filtering people too hard. And all of a sudden, you know, you got to get through all these filters and then we're Gattaca. But it's also just to problematize it a little bit. Um, it's the thing is, when you talk about somebody who's a super recognizer, well, what are they super recognizing at? And it's it's it just depends on what level the level at which you want to try to solve the problem that we call civility, crime, whatever you want to call it. The trouble is, by the time you get down to the level of super recognizing, well, have we vetted all the people whose faces are being recognized? I guess we're assuming, in this case, that those are all baddies, right, that, that, that have to, to go down. I guess it just interests me to think about, like, in that case, that's a very interesting uh, technical hack that really sounds like it would work. But it does assume that the policing is being done well, fairly and justly, and that those are baddies that need to be cut so they don't blow up the, the Ferris wheel or whatever. I mean, I think you're talking about the, the job of super recognizer is not, those aren't the prosecutors, right? They're just the tool. It is a lot and like Minority Report in some ways. I haven't seen that. Is that the one where the, the cars all go up and down the walls like, uh, like roaches? That might be Fifth Element. Oh. But so Minority Report, the, the notion is that there are these... Uh, these, oh, sure. They can see a little bit into the future. There's these mythological characters, these three sisters who like lay in this pool of water, something, something, magic and science. But like basically, the they are able, they're often able to detect 
when a crime is about to happen, which, you know, to begin with is a pretty great idea for a sci-fi story, but then there's a lot of interest in the, the interesting part to me is in the implementation and oh, how the it's vetted. Yeah. It and how the yeah. little wooden ball rolls out and like there's this entire like chain of custody to it and it's all done. Part of what makes the, I've, I never read the the book or the story, but, um, but it's, it, it is very interesting. And then, then of course, you know, there's, there has to be a story, which is like, you know, how can we really trust the system? Do we know this? But, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and, uh, yeah. I mean, it's. I. I think that like all, like all solutions, tech, technological solutions, and this does feel like a thought technology. Mm-hmm. And so a te- it is a technological solution, and it will. It it would inviv- invariably develop other problems, right? But at w- the problem that w- it, this would be trying to solve is the problem of false recognition, and the problem, I think. Um, I think the 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 main selling point of it is that it would be addressing this perception that we have that we're all being surveilled all the time, but like there are cameras everywhere. But if right. you get your if you get held up in front of a convenience store, and there are five cameras pointing at you, and you say the guy held me up right here, and there all there's all this footage of it. Nine times out of ten, I think the cops are like, "Well, you know, it's a minor crime, and we don't have the resources to devote to, uh, you know, looking at every CCTV." I mean, it was it was like when I got robbed last year, and they found the you know the neighboring police department found my stuff the next morning, but they didn't have. <laughs> That's a terrific example. That's a you know, great example. They didn't have the even the small the small ability. To, to cross-reference, well, in this zip code, a guy lost a tennis racket. In that zip code, we found a tennis racket. What should we do? Well, let's sell that tennis racket at an auction, and we'll apologize profusely to the other guy. It's just like, come on! you know. So, so yeah, it's, it, it's trying to solve certain problems in policing with this new super... These super cops, super bobbies, but yeah, it would it, it it doesn't solve the problem of like, well, why did that kid take the take the wallet? Um, but you wonder, I mean, and, and I think this is a this is this is a little bit Star Trekky now, but like, one of my big complaints about Next Generation, and boy. You should see the file of complaints about Next Generation I have. I'm intrigued. I, I've, I've just uh, started watching that program. But one of my complaints is the, that... The lighting? <laughs> Lighting's not very good. No, it's not the lighting. It is uh, that uh, Riker is very annoying to me. Oh, I kind of like Riker. Well, it's because Riker sort of resembles me. Mm, oh, sure. And I don't like it. Yeah. I don't... It's, I get it's, that. It's Uncanny Valley. People are like, oh, hell, Riker. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That is not the, that Riker, no. I am Riker. That's not Riker. But no, my problem is that the idea, the premise of Commander Troy is never really fully explored. Right? Is she she the empath? Yeah. Okay. Here is Troy. She's an officer. And she's she's in this position because she has a superpower. Right now, it's never suggested that uh, Captain uh, Picard or that Riker are in their command jobs because they have superpowers, 
right? There's no, you never get a, I mean, they did well in command school. Right. Will, Will Wheaton's character is precocious, but, you, but you, I'm sure his father pulled some strings. But here's Troy, and she has this, like, this basically this psionic power. Um, she's, she's a proto-mutant, right? She's sort of almost X-Men-y. But she's only used in that show to like, as, as like a, a glorified school psychologist, right? She sits down with people. She's like, how are you feeling? Are oh, you she okay? has like space rap sessions. Yeah, like, is everything good right now? I can sense that you're feeling, st- you know, stressed mm, or whatever. How, how and do you you're feel just about like, that? What? No, like, I, it's absolutely right that there should be empaths. And we know who they are in our own lives, right? Who are, who's your most empathetic friend? You know the people that have that ability. And a lot of the time, and I would say the majority of the time, they are not people who actually become psychologists. They, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the, people, are, the people who are best at politics do not become politicians. I mean, yeah. they do, but they're, boy, they really shouldn't be there. Well, right. And the people that be, in my experience, at that's least, the nuts. That, that's the psychology and political sciences where all the nuts go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of kooks that become psychologists because they want, you know, they want to be that person. They 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 have this tremendous desire to be the intermediary. They have. But they, the des- I think a lot of them start out. I think a lot of the reason people sign up for classes freshman year is like, I know I'm a I'm a flaming mess. I need to figure this out. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then they end up becoming a practitioner. <laughs> and, and 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 like running for office, I really do think that it is that the the perceived job of a psychologist uh, to a freshman, let's say, is, oh, I get to sit in a position of authority. People come in and they tell me their problems and I solve them. Now, that's not what being a psychologist is. Or, or a grocery checkout clerk. Right. It's a, that's like a, that's, I mean, if you want that kind of authority over people, you should join the army. Um, but those are, but the people that gravitate toward that job are like, make that initial error and the people who are sitting and saying like, Oh, my friend is having a really bad day. I, I'm, I can't, you know, I just can't go to work today. I have to stay with my friend because she's really having a hard time. And it's like, wow, you're taking a day off work because your friend is having a bad day. That's amazing. Like that is a, that is a talent or a, you know, that's a, a, a mutant ability. Mm-hmm. But so next generation, I kept waiting for the storylines to I, I kept waiting for the Troy storylines to to hang you know to like be really really crucial in the sense that she does have this special knowledge and special ability that's so much greater than just and I'm not saying she had I I, I don't know who the writers of that show how they intended her to be but the whole premise that at that point in the future we would culturally recognize the importance of empaths and put them into an officer's job on a spacecraft, it would suggest that the culture at the time understood empaths to be more meaningful than the, than the writing of the show suggested, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, I get it. It's, it's, you know, they, they put her in the job of, like, the, 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 uh, Father McCoy from, it sounds like, from Ash. It sounds like you're also saying that, the just narratively, the juiciness of somebody, like, the, the plot juiciness of somebody with that kind of ability wasn't fully utilized in the story? Mm-hmm. Is that right? 
Yes, right. Right. I mean, in the I'm talking about just generally the next generation cosmology. Mm-hmm. I, if you're gonna if you're gonna make the leap to say yes, we have sentient robots, children, and empaths, all having made it through officer candidate school and on the bridge of a spacecraft. Uh, let's really explore why they're there and not just have them be, you know, like. Every once in a while, they get their own episode. For instance, if Will Wheaton, if Will Wheaton is a teenager mm-hmm. who is, what was his job like, uh, pilot or something of the spaceship? Yeah, I don't know. What what, what was he precocious at? Well, that's I I don't know. He he he's he really knew, smart. He knew where there was a dead body mm. up the railroad tracks. Oh, sure, sure, sure. But but uh, was that I him? Kept, he's the one who figured that out. No, I never saw that movie. That's a good movie. Uh, it seemed like it was for kids. You should watch Stranger Things on Netflix. I don't have Netflix. Mm, I don't have TV. I don't have TV yeah. Um, I, uh, I, I kept waiting on Next Generation as they're walking down the halls, like, shoop, and then they're walking down the halls. They're kind of doing a West Wing except on a spacecraft. Yeah. I kept waiting for other crew members to be teenagers. Uh, they call it a talking track. A talking track. Mm-hmm. But, like, how come there were no, like, Will is not only, he's not only the smart kid, he's the only smart kid that ever got into the Air Force. That seems pretty weird. If you're living in a world where a really smart kid could, could get that far, yeah. Why wouldn't there be other? Why wouldn't there be like a smart kid that was a, that was a doctor? I don't know. I see that you're not very interested in my Star Trek. No, I'm I'm uh, I'm a little interested. I also know that mentioning anything about this is going to get you so much feedback about what you got wrong that I wish I could save you from yourself. Oh, you're talking about it for Star Trek? Oh yeah, for the Star Trek. Oh, okay, yeah. let's look at let's get away from Star Trek then, because you know our good friends mm. Adam Franica and Ben Harrison. Yes. Have an award-winning podcast. They, they, they were phony nominated for that, I think. Uh, yeah, that's a right. Phony nominated podcast about uh, Next Generation. <laughs> and it's such a... It's so embarrassing. I'm so embarrassed for them that it's popular. Um, I, I can't speak for my friend Scott McNulty, but my friend Scott McNulty uh, does a show called Random Trek, and I think you should really be on it. I think people have mentioned this to you on mm-hmm. the internet before, but I really wish you would be on Scott's show. Okay. And so basically what happens is a big wheel spins and a random episode of Star Trek is picked and then someone talks about it. And it could be somebody who's really into Star Trek or it could be me in one case. I was on an episode. I don't know anything. About, I don't know fuck all about Star Trek. Yeah. But I think you would be, uh, if you'd be willing to spin the wheel, I think you would be uh, a, a nice asset for that program. Well, and you know about me that I am willing to spin the wheel. Mm, God, right? if anything. True, right. true. Right. Yeah. Let let's let's just let's just spitball hmm. right now yes. for a second. Hmm. Come up with one superpower that you think is present in sort of a a uh, one derivation of mankind, like a, like an undetected superpower that you wish that we tested for. That's a really good question, and and so like just to so like something where there's something that. Some people seem capable of that feels uncanny, maybe, and useful, and you just don't have a simple way of explaining why they are so much better at a seemingly invisible talent than other people. Mm-hmm. Right? Kind of? Mm-hmm. I mean, one of those, this is not very funny, but one of those is good judgment. Like, some people seem to just, and without being, like, you know, it's not religious, it's not philosophical, it's not ethical, but some people have a very, like, the same way you talk about being able to see kind of the tapestry of history, like an Indiana Jones warehouse. I think some people 
have just a really um, built-in sense of like what the best thing to do right now is. Yes. That's a boring one, but I no, think no, no, but, that's but one we, where I look at people and I go, you know what? God, you're so right. That makes so much sense. There's no risk associated with what you're saying and huge, potentially huge payoff to what you're saying. Like, how do you, is this your whole life? You just walk around knowing what to do? <laughs> yeah. How do you do that? Well, and the, what's crazy is in our culture, we already have a job called judge. But the people that get appointed to be judges have to go through this whole elaborate PhD program. And by the time you have been filtered all the way to sitting up on the bench and being a judge, who knows what skills you have. Yeah, and I mean, that's the, the other part of this. Like, I, I hate to sound cynical, but the other part of that is like, it's, we're back to the wire. I mean, it's like you're part of a system. You, you are beholden to people to, to have that job in some way, no matter, I mean, everybody who has a job, like you always say, even Bono has a boss. Everybody has somebody they've got to keep happy. There's no way you could be completely um, neutral about something. Well, but that's what's so interesting about the uh, Judge Wapner, Judge Judy, let's say Judge John Hodgman, mm-hmm. um, where they found, you know, in the case of Wapner and Judy, they found jurists. <laughs> it sounds like a terrible puppet show. Wapner and Judy. <laughs> Wapner and Judy actually made the first rotary engine. I did not know that. Interesting. Yeah, it's the Wapner, Wapner Judy. It was named after the sound it made. Wapner Judy, Wapner Judy. <laughs> but, um, you know, like I have always felt, again, not that I have great judgment, but I have I have the the a talent my dad had. My mom used to say she would be she would because she was his uh, she ran his office when he was in private practice, and she would say she would read the brief of one side of this dispute, and she would say, "Well, they have an iron iron tight case," and then she'd read she'd read the other one, and she'd be like, "My God, they have an iron tight you know." There's absolutely no way you could it's, it's going to be a stalemate or an impasse. There's no way there both of these. There's no way to decide who is right in this, because there's just no deciding. Yeah, and then my dad would waltz in, incapable of filing things alphabetically, <laughs> incapable of w- working more than three hours a day, you know, like incapable not only of balancing a checkbook, but of finding his checkbook. But my dad would waltz in, read both things, and say, oh, here's the solution, and it would be like, what? And both parties would say, I agree, and they'd shake hands and the problem was resolved and my you know my mom still talks about it having been divorced from him now for 50 years or whatever 45 years she's like it was the most it was the most incredible talent and he did it over and over and i could never figure out i would I, you know after having watched him do it i would read these things and i would try to apply his filter like like retroactively go reverse engineer his decision yeah, or just, you know, like, now I've, I've been doing this for a long time. I know him intimately well. What is he going to do here? I cannot see what he's going to do, even though I know his process. I know. And I he'd know. walk in, and he'd read both things, and he's not, he's, he, he wasn't even aware of it being a process. He's just like, oh, the solution is blah, blah, blah. I think there's so many things. I mean, some, and, and again, I'm not trying to be funny, but I think there, there are things as simple as people who, and I don't know if this comes down to taste or smell or what, or a different kind of judgment, but people who are, with a very little training, uh, are just very good cooks and know, for example, like just what would be appropriate as an ingredient, as a dish, as a component of a larger meal. That sounds like a silly one, but I think mm-hmm. that's a kind of a special gift. Mm-hmm. Another one is that, like I've seen this in some friends, um, where there are some people who are who are are uh, unerringly kind and thoughtful and know just the right thing to do. 
which again, now to me, to anybody else, to a normal person who just like buys Hallmark cards and sends them out, Hakuna Matata. But for me, I look at that and I go, how do you know just the right thing to say to somebody when somebody in their family died and not sound like a dick? Yeah. Or how do you like, you were on fucking vacation in Honduras and knew to buy this particular $2 item that somebody would treasure for the rest of their life. <laughs> yeah. my friend, you've met my friend Christine. She's like that. Yeah. Christine always brings a gift and you're like, how did you, how do you, I, 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 I don't, I, I, how do you, how do you do that? How does your brain, how do you like work for George Lucas and still have the ability to remember what all of your friends like and have it somewhere floating through your mind at a given time as something to act on? That yeah. feels like magic to me. Yeah, it is. The people that know exactly what gift to give are truly magicians. And I think some of those, right? Like I had a friend whose job it was to fill up the iPods of famous people. Yeah. Right. This is your, her, right? yeah. Was, she did Courtney Love's uh, iPod. Was that yeah, it? Yeah, just a Drew Barrymore. Somebody, Drew Barrymore. That's it. Drew Barrymore. Uh, and there are a lot of people, I think, in college who love music, who, who think that their love of music is a special talent. And very few people have like a supernatural understanding of how music works with one another. You know, the great DJs, like, but, but, but there are a lot of people who want to be in music. Because they love music. Uh -huh. and, but, and, and I think there are people whose jobs are to be like gift buyers. But it seems like such a, it's such a bougie world where, yes, I live, in, you know, I live in, on the outskirts of Beverly Hills and my job is to be an executive gift buyer for but that's just that's risky. how it evidences itself in this culture right now because we don't have another way to harness their skills. Right. If you but but think about the value of just like hanging out your shingle in 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 the sunset in San Francisco. <laughs> you open a storefront. Your I'm kid a graduates buyer. from Stanford and announces, "I've decided on my career. I'm gonna I'm gonna fill celebrity iPods." Well, that you know, <laughs> but like take take it out of the the world of rich people yeah. and imagine being somebody who's just like. Yeah, hi. I'll fill your iPod and I'll find gifts for your friends for a nominal fee, um, and have and and have us culturally recognize that that is a skill, and you no longer have to beat yourself up because you don't know what gifts to give people. You just go to the gift buyer, and that's a that's a legitimate service job. Services like letter writing, where you can hire somebody to write important letters for you. Yeah, that's a thing, and and that seems. I mean, grant writer is one of the most incredible the people that are great at writing grants and I meet them all the time yeah who are like oh I love writing grants and it's like really the thing that I would rather gouge out my eyeballs with a fucking fork than do right, right. you love to do and they're like oh yeah give me some grants to write oh boy it's just like okay now I really do feel like there are very very different species on this planet all masquerading as human if you love to write grants oh yeah I love write them and get them and then write some more Hmm. Fuck. But the people that amaze me are the are the diffusers. The people who are as somebody who finds it very difficult to diffuse a, a a situation where there's where the tension is rising. Yeah. Those people that can just be that can that can take a really tense situation and then every all of a sudden everybody's laughing. Yeah. And you're like And you can Whoa. feel them in the room like exuding a kind of magic. Yeah. What did you just do? How did you just do that? And what suddenly was, you feel, everybody feels kind of small to make a big deal about it. You're like, wow, this is, we can totally deal with this. Yeah. This is, this is, this is not perfect, but like, wow, this, the temperature and barometric pressure of the room have completely changed with this person being here. 
and they never condescended to anybody. You don't feel like they're they're trying to get over on you. And they and don't that, even have to say, hey, you guys, let's do do do. It's yeah. just more like there's sometimes people just have a certain kind of presence that brings out people's better angels. And and so let's say a person that has that talent. Yeah. They're they're also smart and they're also personable and they're also uh you know, like ambitious or whatever. And they they go to college and they do well and they get a job at uh, at uh, Amazon.com, let's say, let's call it. Let's mm-hmm. say there's a business called Amazon.com that yeah, hires for, a lot for the of sake of argument, yeah. And let's say they work there. It's a very unusual name for a thing. It, it uh, conjures up the uh, the image of a river, yeah, a very large river. What are you selling, piranha? Yeah, you're just you're washing piranha and like freshwater sharks and and leaves. Mm. Let's just call them leaves. Leaves. Think about all the leaves that go down the Amazon. Uh. But so this person's working there in a in a capacity that is uh, that has some authority. They're they're managing a group of people and they're doing a really good job. And every once in a while, some situation arises between two employees, and this person is there. And as uh, as a small subset of what they do as a manager, they resolve this conflict, and it's and everybody walks away feeling good. Right, and we see this type of thing all the time. Oh, my manager's really good at resolving conflicts, but out there somewhere in that job is a super diffuser, somebody who would be capable of resolving the resolving state conflicts. Oh, they're like uh, the wolf, except for uh, massive human disagreements. Yeah, they they have the ability. They I talk have, fast and I drive fast. Let's get this thing settled. <laughs> Let's get this thing settled. You <laughs> get some Windex. You. <laughs> Get the hose. out of that sweatshirt. <laughs> uh, Banana slugs. But like, so there are people with that kind of, that, that level of magic in resolving disputes, but it's masked by their just general sort of talent and they end up in a job where they do well and they are doing a good job, but we didn't find them. We didn't find them and say, you have this talent, it's a super talent and where you where we need you really is in the state department well and the thing or even like let's say that's an aspect of your job where everybody goes you know wow uh jennifer is super good at making everybody act like an adult without being condescending but maybe jennifer's that's maybe that's not her main job maybe that's not how she's rewarded maybe that's not how she's acknowledged maybe that's not how she was recruited but that's not going to be something that necessarily if, if she's a corporate attorney who's mainly a litigator that may come up a couple times a year, but if she's just there to be a bulldog and like scream the other side down, that skill, you know, while being there may not be beneficial to her work. Well, or, or even if it, even if it really is a big part of why Jennifer became an executive vice president at, uh, let's say a company called Apple, right? <laughs> Just one named why are you, after a why are you needlessly muddying these examples with making people wonder who you're talking about? Jennifer, Jennifer, um, Jennifer, Jennifer, let's, Jennifer. Let's say that, right? But and, and we think of her as being extremely successful and of her problem-solving ability or her, her uh, conflict resolution ability being a major component of what made her a success there. But what we never knew was how gifted she was at that one thing and how much that gift actually overshadowed her management ability or her you know her usefulness to apple like she was she was the magneto of solving conflicts yeah 
but ne- but there was never an opportunity to see how truly gifted she was because she was you know she was given these simple things of like oh well you know Bob said that Jim's playing his radio too loud and Jim says that he was told uh, you know he could play that, quietly after eleven yeah that that was yeah. his stapler or whatever and she's like <laughs> let me handle this and she does and everybody's like wow thank God Jennifer was here but meanwhile you know meanwhile the Stuxnet is dissolving. Uh, centrifuges in Iran because we can't find a single person that can make sense of uh, of the negotiation around the table like yeah. Herman Blix or whatever isn't doing a good enough job and if we put Jennifer in there she'd be like oh listen he, he can play it quietly after 11 mm-hmm. and you guys you guys can use these centrifuges to make you know to refine uranium but only but, for but the- Jennifer's uh, in a building full of nails where they just need another hammer See, that's exactly right. Jennifer in a building full of nails. Mm, la, la, la. <laughs> <laughs> I, that actually kind of sounds more like a Bell and Sebastian song. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Jennifer in a building full of nails. Jennifer. I can't even do a fucking Bell and Sebastian impression. She rides the desk. She's the jockey of the dissolution. Friends of mine. You're pretty good. I that got was a little a Sean Nelson at the end. She was the hammer of the building and a friend of mine. Uh, you know what I think about? Here's, here, here's something people do. That was probably the end. But I, li- um, I like I like it. But I but I also like I also like the now. There's much more to say. But well, we'll cut this off. But you know, here's another thing. Um, think about this. Uh, when I, I I don't know a better word for this, and it, it sounds creepy to even talk about it think about it but it, there's a kind of i guess what you might consider retroactive or like forensic research you can do this goes back to something i was saying earlier where like i do sometimes think like not just with crime but in lots of other situations like is there a way to look at patterns of of some kind and see that oh my goodness given this set of conditions over this period of time people who do the following three things in this order before the age of 20 will almost inevitably do this one thing by the age of 50 it's like that huh. very very abstract right huh? Huh? but like i think that's a thing i think that's i think that's a real thing and i think you know when you think about like a profile and cur- pro- profiles and courage type thing like what are, what are these common things people have but think about this like I think one of the ways it seems to me we use that forensic ability is f- to identify, I'm going to use the parlance here, to identify at-risk children, right? So that's a phrase we use. And what is that? That's code. Here's what that means, is that we know that there are a set of conditions and that there's a set of consequent maybe behaviors that tend to lead kids to say, you know, get into crime, sell drugs, whatever the 80s version of this is. And that if you're good at this, you can you can identify at-risk kids early and try to give them opportunities that will at least keep them from going the wrong way. And my sense is that there is some kind of a forensic thing there beginning with where they live. Are they mm-hmm. in an area are they in an area with lots of, you know, as we used to say, broken families. Like, are they living with their grandmother and there's not a lot of money and not much supervision? Maybe they're in a foster home. I bet there's seven things. So you could go, wow, if this 12-year-old black kid in Philadelphia meets all seven of these criteria, we really need to keep our eye on that guy. And I, I, I suspect that's a way that you could use that kind of forensic research. And I guess I'm just wondering now, like, is there something more positive? Is there an ad opportunity thing that we could do? Right, right. <laughs> like, how, that- do we, how do we go and identify the, the magneto of empathy somewhere in Philadelphia? I, and that that is the that's the million dollar question, right? How do we do how do we do this positively, without without it becoming a test for who doesn't get to be a cop? Precisely, 
right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. Know, you, this, you, this is not meant to be an exclusionary thing. It's just that, you know, if, if this is what we have to do testing with, then it is going to be selective in a way that's going to exclude people. Yeah, yeah. There's a, in music, I was, I was walking down a, a, the aisle of a store the other day. And it was the third time in a row I heard squeeze. Like if the, each of the following, each of the prior three days I'd heard squeeze playing somewhere in a store. Hmm. And, you know, by the third time you hear squeeze three days in a row, you're like, what's going on? Some, that sounds like a message. Some kind of squeeze quickening. But We are ready I, for the anchor man. I was listening. Hot coffee in bed. Listening to squeeze as I'm walking through the uh, black coffee in bed. Damn it. Uh, well, uh, as I'm walking through the store and I suddenly heard in squeeze the echo uh or rather the uh, the pre-echo the preverb mm-hmm. of a songwriter that i used to love here in seattle whose name was rob benson he was a great songwriter a very great pop songwriter and he was super influenced by squeeze and you know in the way that people used to say like oh he's really influenced by xtc and squeeze you could hear the influences but there was a certain passage of squeeze where i was like if you know if if I didn't already know this was a squeeze song, I would have thought it was a Rob Benson song. And it started me thinking about Rob, who was one of the most talented of all of us, just a natural melodicist, a great vocalist. And he just didn't, he didn't make it all the way through to the big show, you yeah. know, for whatever reason. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stories like that up there, I bet. Well, there are. And... And the thing is that the Maybe over- flop like shouldn't flop have been bigger shop flop should have been a lot bigger and for whatever reason flop yeah. wasn't and you you come to think of it and it's it, particularly if you have if you've made it over to the other side a little bit you think of it as like well you just have to it just things people get weeded out right it's not it's not a pure meritocracy <laughs> shrug but, you know <laughs> but there, there were there were a lot of ways in which Rob was a uh, like one of the best front men, but Rob could never quite figure out how to work his amp or what, you know, there were always things about it where I was like, well, you know, that you, that was an opportunity that you guys could have taken a little bit more aggressively and, uh, for whatever reason you didn't. And so that's the reason that's the why. So within music and the arts, and I think in business and in the army, there's a sense that like, well, the, the, the cream rises, rises to the top, and it's not always the guy that's the best singer or the best sergeant or the best banker, but it's a competitive enough process and hard enough to get through that the people that do get there, they might not have been the most gifted, but they're definitely not dummies. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was hard. They got there. Uh, but the, the stuff we're talking about, which is like, well, if if the magneto of problem solving decided at a young age they wanted to be a guitar player and they were a good guitar player and got far enough along that it seemed like they were on their way to the show and then they didn't make it and then frustrated and defeated by that they went to work at at a warehouse like we triple quadruple missed an opportunity yeah just it happens that sports uh, warehouse was uh, hiring. Yeah, right. And so all these tests that we're giving to elementary school kids, which are like, how well did the teacher put these spelling lessons into your brain, Ugh. and how you know how able are you to to regurgitate them when we could be saying 
okay, everybody, today, here's what we're going to do. Match the faces. And everybody takes the test, and it's like, oh, uh, but we're not looking to grade in anybody. We're just looking for the one kid in the school who gets a perfect score. It's like what, like Ender's Game or Men in Black? Like, you know, here's all these these elites that have been trained all of their life, but like, we're gonna find this one kid who's gonna go into the system. Yeah, the one kid that's like a super recognizer, and then yeah. we're just like, hey, you know, Janet, would you like to come with? Do, do you remember me? Yes, of yeah. course I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Would you like to come with with uh, Barton? He'd like to show you a special room. And Janet's like, okay. And Barton walks her down the hall, and Barton's like, Janet, we'd like to initiate you into a special program oh dear you know and, it, and you're just like okay well janet's not in school with us anymore but now we're going to play some more games hey here's a problem who can solve this problem it's just and a simulation one kid is like well the answer is simple zabow and they're like oh elijah would you like to come with barton and the, we have to go talk to your parents. Yeah. And the danger, of course, is that all the people that are left in the school that did not test out into anything interesting are all just now uh, they're in some 1984 hellscape where <laughs> it's like, OK, well, you know, or, or it's like Brazil. You keep trying to get yeah. more desk, pulling your desk through the wall. <laughs> yeah. Or the scene in Animal House that I always reference. Oh, I'd like you to meet yeah. Ahmed. And, uh, but but. You know, to 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 call the people who are truly gifted. Oh, it's just so. As soon as I use the word "call," you know, that's it's so fraught with yeah. all this like eugenical energy. We talked before about like in the age before we came along, you would call it the gifted class, yep. and then you had to come up with all these squirrely names. In my case, uh, differentiated educational opportunities, or DEO, is what mm -hmm. they called it. Uh, well, it's not gifted. It's not advanced. It's DEO. It's a it's a technology. Yeah, they well, they called it Program for Academically and Creatively Talented, or PACT. Oh, nice. But then, uh, then I think, uh, but initially the first program I was in was called DIG, which was, I don't know, digest. See, that's one of those ones where it could mean either way. At my kid's school, they have a program called ROAR, which is for the opposite kind of direction. Right, right. You want to try and ROAR. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, so how do you balance this with like the sense that all men are created equal and, and, and women are? Included. And when I meet Thomas Jefferson, I'm going to compel him Listen, to include women all, in the sequel. All men and women included, plus men, everybody, right? Not, not just the white You ones. don't need a TV to listen to Hamilton. You don't even need a TV. I, I get it. I get it from you and from Hodgman. I'm, uh. I've heard almost every song. <laughs> Give me 15 minutes and I will change your life. <laughs> I heard Adam Savage talking about it. Oh, yeah. Just a moment, oh, yeah. just a moment. <laughs> it's coming at me from all sides. I feel like I feel like I'm drowning in a looking you know, for a mind at work. Work a pudding pool. <laughs> Except the pudding is Hamilton. So Janet and uh, Ephraim, what's his name? Barton. Uh, Elijah. Elijah and Barton. Uh, they both go with Barton. They're taking Ender Bart out and they're putting him in the academy with Harrison Ford. Yeah. Barton's job. You get Barton's these three sleeping in a tub. Is to not scare kids as he takes them down a hallway. 
and he's the he's the one he's the anti clown. And uh, I, unfortunately, he sounds like exactly like Bob Odenkirk in the sketch world. <laughs> Tell the people what you told me earlier. <laughs> Please don't kill me. <laughs> we mention it every week for uh, don't, a reason. Don't, 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 I watched don't. it again. I watched it again last week. I know week. I did it too. I wa- what was I watching the other day? Uh, I sent it to Sean. I was like, I miss watching TV with you. Oh God. You're right. You know, not being creepy around kids. No, well, just let's do a lightning round. What are some right. other ones? What are some other super abilities? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, knowing where to go for dinner. Oh, my God. Yeah. If you could hire somebody whose only job was to tell you, and, and not, you know, they're, and they're not getting any kickbacks. Nope, it's not nope, a nope. thing there's where no, they're there's like no yelping, but they just go, hey, you know what? Let's go get those uh, green noodles we like. Yes. yes. Oh. You know what would be perfect tonight is uh, is a little bit of Ethiopian food. I didn't even think of Ethiopian. I never would have thought of that. Yeah, there's those, but see, a lot of these come down to, um, well, you know, like I'm always mentioning perfect pitch because that fascinates me because I don't have perfect pitch. I, I have the, I have the kind of pitch where even though I'm not a good singer, like I can frequently start singing a song because it's kind of playing in my head. Like I know. I don't. The, I couldn't tell you what key, key it's in. Started in. Yeah, like I can just start singing. Like I, I know this is how talk about talk about the passion is in D, and this is how it starts. Talk about the passion. That's probably pretty close. Check it out. Um, now, Captain, me, Captain Marm will now run that through a meter and tell me if that was a D. I, Please don't do that. I want. I, what, I, I want, what I want. I, what I want. I want an ethicist. There are people mm. who understand. <clears throat> that um, that not everything is black and white, and there are people that understand that the fact that things are not black and white is not confusing. It doesn't, you know, there are a lot of sides to every story, but also like there are lies of omission that are better than the truth. Sometimes there are, you know, there there are conditions and solutions are there there there's an ethical path. There's a there's a best practice, and. You know, a, a lot of time we live in a place we live we live in a world where the people that tell the truth all the time presume a uh, like a moral superiority. And if you tell a little white lie or you you know you kind of prevaricate a little bit, you feel guilty about it, even if it even if it feels expedient, and and you come out of it saying like, well, we got you know we got the project accomplished. I had to tell Bob that. Uh, that we needed him off site that day when in fact we just wanted him not to be here. Uh, and the, the problem is that people that, that privilege social expediency. Well, people that, people that say complete honesty is the highest good. You know, a lot of those people are kind of sociopathic, Mm -hmm. right? Like complete honesty is not always the, there is a reason that there's lying and it's, (laughs) You know, like if right, if, if complete honesty were just a pure good, I'm then, happy that you like your baby, but it is a grotesquerie. Yes, your your child is the second ugliest baby I've ever seen. The first <laughs> ugliest baby was a was just a little uglier than your baby. I realize that if I told you it was the ugliest baby I've ever seen, you would not realize that I have seen many many ugly babies, and I know them well enough to say that yours is the second ugliest, which is to say, a very very ugly baby <laughs> right i value honesty hello hello but you know my my problem personally is that i learned as a young person to obfuscate 
my movements. <laughs> Right. Mm. right? Like, we're not just talking about jumping out of a train at the last minute. No, I when you talking about codes and dog whistles a, a little bit in yeah. the sense that it was if somebody said, "What did you do last night?" and and it was a simple question, I would and continue to uh, would often answer, "Oh, I went to the movies last." When in fact I went to the library. Ha <laughs> ha. Classic misdirection. That's right. And in fact, and this has been pointed out to me a thousand times, in fact, saying I went to the library was actually like a cooler thing to say. Um, saying, oh, I went to the library was at least a conversation starter. Whoa, whoa, what were you doing at the library? Oh, I was just reading. Why would you say you went to the movies? Well, the answer is I did, just didn't want people to know yeah. what I was doing. Yeah, I totally agree. But the problem people is... People know too many things about people. Well, they do, yeah. And <clears throat> I got into that habit as a young person and, and I think motivated by a desire not to be completely known, motivated by... Not a, to be uh, knowable. Not to be knowable. <laughs> and not to, you know, uh, no, motivated by a sort of introverted desire to be separate a little bit and and to be um contained you know or or to to not just be a, 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 like accessible to everybody but the problem is as i've gotten older that habit and instinct really gets in the way of being intimate with people mm. because when somebody that you're intimate with says where did you go yesterday and you say, oh, I went to the movies. And they say, that's weird, because I just bumped into our mutual friend, and they said they saw you at the library. Bum, bum, bum. You know? And yeah, I do. And I'm like, <clears throat> uh. And then they say, why are you lying? And, the, and the, the, the premise is that I'm lying because I'm covering something up, and I'm not. I'm just... That's, that's, that's the point of uh, a good spycraft. That's right. Right? I mean, no. No, if you only lied when you had something to cover up, you'd be a terrible spy. Yeah, right. You get off the plane, you assume you're being followed. Plausible deniability, too, right? But but it, it but it actually is becoming a major issue in my life right now because I don't know how to. You know, I'm a full grown man. I have responsibilities, but there are sometimes I just say that I am doing one thing when I'm doing another, just to preserve that feeling of of uh, what what feels very safe to me, secure. That feeling that I that you know not everybody knows what I'm doing, and I would love to sit down with like somebody that has the superpower of being able to know being being able to to resolve that problem for me. Right, this is a major issue, and it seems like a minor, t tiny little thing. Where they could they could find a way for you to be. Uh, how do you put this? Less dishonest, but still be able to have the sense of security. I'm trying to I'm trying to phrase this yeah. in a very general way because I don't know what the solution is, but it would involve you feeling better, other people feeling better, but you still maintaining something important to you. Yeah, because my whole <clears> life, people <throat> that uh, that are close to me or want to be close to me have said, "Well, the solution to it is that you just start telling me what you're doing." And I go, "Yeah, <laughs> easy. I, Let's slow your roll." I know, I know. And they're like, "Well, if you know, if you loved me, you would, you would, uh, you wouldn't feel like you needed to be apart from me." And it's like, "Well, hold on now. 
like I love my mom. I feel like I want to be apart from her. Like eh, eh, easy, easy, you know, and, 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 but I carry a lot of guilt because, because yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I, I'm not trying to exclude you from me. Right. And so, but, but this is a kind of ethical problem that doesn't rise up to the level of, uh, like let's go to the, let's ask my priest or whatever or let's but let's you can start. use some tips from Jennifer or Janet yeah or somebody uh, who's like oh I feel I feel this situation and here's and they see it they see it just it's like somebody who can like solve the word search they just look at it and boom it's just jumping right out on they would see that and go well obviously here's one way you could do that yeah small scale spiritual counseling that doesn't require that I join oh I like that right mm. who are the, and there are those people all around us. Mm-hmm. Who just have that ability, and I call you know I call my sister, who's very very uh, she has she's very intense into the world of emotion, but you know she's coming at it from a place of super intensity, like you know, get to know yourself, break all, break down all walls, burn your burn your body in a pyre, <laughs> rise up as a phoenix, and I'm like. Yes, I yes, I do want to do that, but I also just want to just I kind of just want to get my fingers around this little issue of like I want to be close to people. I don't want them to feel I'm excluding them, but somehow I'm constantly habitually telling little teeny lies of omission just to keep a buffer between me and everybody else. Interesting. And you know, I just want a little friend to Some say Some people's superpowers oh. sniffing out little lies, too. That's absolutely true. There are people you can lie to all day, and they're just like derp derp derp. That's other me. Ones I'll just, never figure it out. Yeah, I'm a terrible judge of character, and I can't tell when eyes. people are like I can't tell anything. You can't tell when somebody's lying to you. <laughs> I can tell when I can tell when somebody. I feel like I can tell when somebody is nervously bullshitting me for reasons. But um, no, I just I don't know. I just I just throw up my hands. These are all super, all of these require some ability to see a situation in a way other people do not and to identify a solution that's really not obvious. Yeah. Or not obvious to the people that don't have your, your talent. Are you still there? No, I'm still here. I'm listening. Yeah. I'm, I'm, pause, I'm pausing the fucking podcast because next door, for the next two months, they're going to apparently be banging on the walls all day long. You hear that? Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if you were playing the bongos while we were talking. They were, I, the other day it was stones. They were, they, were, they were blowing up stones in the floor and carrying them out and then dropping them. What are they? They're going to turn it into a really cool little oyster bar or something, huh? I couldn't say. Right. I, I, right. I, that's right. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Of course, because if you said yes. <laughs> My problem is I lie and then identify that I just lied. <laughs> <laughs> that's my super skill. No, it's not. 